1: Good morning and welcome to the show. It's the second best day of the week. That's right. Thursdays. We get ready to wrap up this holiday short week. It's uh, gone by really quick, of course. And uh, as we're also getting ready to wrap up the month, right? So as we finish up this week, we'll be heading into the last week of June, which is also the end of the quarter. So that means a lot of portfolio rebalancing coming up next week. Again, what that just suggests is a bit more volatility in markets as as, uh you know we continue to kind of get positioned back to where we need to be now the the good news about that is that because of all this selling that we had just this last week we're gonna see a a reversion potentially of this trade and again we talk about these short-term market rallies these potentials for a bottom etc now right now because of the sell-off that we had last week this means that a lot of portfolio managers are way off sides right now they're underweight equities because the value of the equities in the portfolios declined and of course because bonds have been under pressure those are also out of balance and so to get those back into balance for end of the quarter reporting they're going to have to potentially do some buying right so we're going to have to see some potential buying in uh, both bonds and stocks over the next week now how that all plays out Don't quite know, but uh, again, there's going to be some support next week as we get ready to wrap up the quarter and have end-of-the-quarter window dressing for portfolios. So, again, potential here for a a little bit of a rally, as we've talked about over the last day or so. Uh, Markets did open down fairly sharply yesterday morning. Now, uh, again, as we kind of replay the week a bit, on Tuesday, nice rally coming out of the extended holiday weekend. Wednesday... Um, you know, it, it just, you know, didn't do a whole lot yesterday. We opened down, it looked like we are going to give up a lot of the gains that we had made on Tuesday, but did rally back, finished a little bit lower. But yesterday was actually a positive trading day because we opened down. And then even though we closed a little bit lower, we were well off the lows for the day. So uh, actually a bit of a positive day there. And we're now very close to triggering a very, very short term kind of, of buy signal. So again, Moving into next week, would not be surprised if these markets can muster a little bit of a rally here. Now, importantly, uh, you know, things like uh, cryptocurrency, other speculative assets like cryptocurrencies are also getting a little bit of a bid here, and that's helping kind of support this idea of, uh, of at least maybe a short-term tradable rally. So again, a push back up to around 39.50 on the S&P 500 to 4,000, certainly not out of the realm of possibility but again, want to use that to raise cash, um, hedge portfolios. Be a little bit more cautionary here. We're not out of the woods just yet. Markets remain in a very defined downtrend at this point. Lots of overhead resistance, and as we've talked about before, a lot of people are just trapped in the lo- you know trapped in their positions. They're just kind of looking for an exit here. Now, one of the questions that we've got to kind of explore this morning. Is whether or not the markets have priced in the economic recession. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what Jerome Powell said uh, to Senate yesterday. He's got a two-day testimony going on right now. He'll finish that up today. But you know, it's been, he had a very interesting exchange with Elizabeth Warren that we'll get into this morning, uh, talking about you know what his role is and what he sees his role is in terms of combating inflation and then her views about what that means for the economy and 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 they were both right but a very different interesting perspective from two different people yesterday and we'll kind of get into the the ebbs and flows of that but one thing here is that earnings so when we talk about the value of the market the market's down about 21% this year a little bit more uh, so far this year so a 21% decline, surely that's priced in a good bit of the recession if we're going to have one, right? Well, not necessarily, because if we take a look at valuations, right? That's what we talk about when we're talking about pricing in things. And you see a lot of people talk about, well, you know, forward P's have already come down to 15 times earnings. That's a great level. Well, that is with the exception of the fact that the only thing that has fell in the terms of that valuation measure is the p in the pe right so prices have come down but earnings estimates haven't yet so if price just stays the same as where it is right now and the earnings begin to fall valuations are going to rise and that's one of the big risks that we have here and that's why likely right now that we haven't seen an actual bottom just yet because the e in the valuation measure has not come down estimates are still very high now we're just starting to see kind of the cracks in these earnings estimates where we're starting to see analysts begin to lower these estimates a bit here and so that's going to that's going to really start more in earnest as we get later into this year those estimates are going to come down particularly as the economy slows simply because of of tighter monetary policy and that's suggesting that we don't don't even have a recession if we just slow the economy without getting into recession that would a be a miracle and b that would still mean that earnings have to come down here because we're going to have a slower economic environment. Where do earnings come from? They come from what you and I do in the economy, right? It's our economic activity that drives the E in earnings in uh, for the economy. Now, more importantly, though, if we get into a recession, totally different thing. <laughs> so we're going to see earnings drop a lot more at that standpoint as we get into a negative contraction of economic activity in other words we're actually performing a lot less that's the real risk here so if we get into a recession assuming prices just stay where they are valuations are going to go up but that's not going to happen prices will have to come down more to adjust for lower earnings as we start to see those come in and particularly as the economy slows now look the risk of a recession has risen markedly now that the federal reserve is aggressively tightening interest rates They're also reducing their balance sheet. But at the same time, we have this run of inflation. We have high gas prices, high oil prices, high food prices. All these other costs are weighing on consumers. That's also tightening monetary policy at the same time. So this really makes it a lot more challenging for the Federal Reserve to try to navigate not putting the economy into a recession. Now, there's some interesting dynamics, and again, we'll talk about this uh, after the break with uh, Fed uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell talking yesterday to the Senate uh, committee about the jobs market and what that means and what he thinks needs to happen in the jobs market to bring down inflation. But if if you're talking about trying to bring down inflation through the jobs market, that may be okay for the economy, might not be so good for you. And <laughs> we'll talk about that here coming up just a minute. Just real quick to kind of wrap up, though. Uh, markets are very oversold here. Again, as we talked about uh, yesterday, looking for a bounce. Use that bounce here to raise a little bit of cash. We're not out of the woods yet, most likely not at a, at a lasting bottom. We'll know that when we get there. We'll see start to see the, the markets begin to bottom, retest lows, hold those support levels. We're not seeing that just yet. Every rally is met with more selling that's led to new lows. This is a classic sign of a bear market. That's what we're in right now. We've got to deal with that aspect for the moment. But again, there'll also be some great opportunities along the way. So again, you got to be careful not to go, you know, just go get out all of the market because you're going to miss the bottom when it comes. So that's why we have to kind of navigate this as we go along. Look, a little bit of rough sailing right now, but it's okay. Harbors in, harbors in, the just over the horizon. We're going to see that when we get there. But again, we just kind of navigate this process here. Use rallies continually to reduce risk in your portfolio, rebalance accordingly. And then we'll get to the other side of this when we get there. Okay, quick break. We'll come back, um, talk about Jerome Powell's conversation yesterday with the Senate and what he said and what it means for you and your money. Be right back.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab,
0: realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: Back to the show this morning. So before we get into talking about um, Jerome Powell up on the Senate Banking yesterday, you know, oil prices continue to be a uh, an issue of concern, and you know, the White House uh, facing a really tough midterm election coming up, uh, particularly with you know, in, in the face of inflation, which you know doesn't doesn't help the electorate. Again, we've talked about before that. One of the issues with elections is that most people really aren't that attuned to politics, right? I know it may seem that way because of what, you know, what you see on CNN and what you probably see on your social media. It sounds like everybody in the world is just all honed in on politics. It's really not the case, you know, you know. Most people aren't. They're doing other things in life, and, and what they do realize and what they, what they are tuned into is what they're spending their money on. And, you know, if you take a look at credit card usage as a good example, credit card usage has been in a pretty sharp decline over the last several months. Now, that's not surprising because once you start kind of hitting credit card limits – you know, on your credit card, you got to stop spending. <laughs> you know, there's this, this kind of natural barrier to spending money on credit cards, and, and sure, you could go out and get another credit card, but even even people that that aren't budgetarily conscious, right? There's a there's an issue when you start maxing out one credit card, then you get another credit card, and even there's this e- e- even for the most uneducated financially, there is a there's a point to where you go, man, I got to stop getting credit cards. Because money's not free, and the bill comes due, and not surprisingly, we're starting to see credit card usage drop because we've seen a massive surge in the last several months of credit card debt, revolving uh, credit card debt that's gone up a lot. So, you know, people realize that there's a problem, and 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 when they go to vote, and this is what happens throughout history when you know George Bush was up for, uh, you know. Uh, elect, sorry, uh, during uh, George Bush's second term, right? We had the financial crisis. And that pretty much sowed the seeds for President Obama to get elected because people tend to vote by their pocketbook. And, and when they're not happy about the current administration, they tend to vote in the other direction. And, and that's just the way people are, right? It's just they, they are very tied to their economic fate, and they blame the people in office for that. So, not surprisingly, the White House a bit of in a scramble mode here because of oil prices and high gasoline prices. We talked a little bit yesterday about some of the, you know, the the bad ideas. You know, trying to eliminate the gas tax, you know, temporarily. That's not a fix. But you know, again, you know, more ideas coming out. You know, I thought an interesting one is creating a buyer's cartel. Now, a buyer's cartel is where we get all these countries together to go buy oil. (laughs) And the interesting thing about it is is that they're gonna go and say, we're gonna buy Russian oil at not at $120 a barrel, we're gonna buy it like $65. And Russia has this and, and they think that by creating this buyer's cartel that they can force Russia, as an example, to sell their oil at a much cheaper price. Well, Russia and India are ex- exporting more oil than ever to China. Right? So they're getting their $120 barrel oil or whatever to sell it to China. So it's it's hard, you know, these are all these are all interesting ideas, right? But it's hard to form a buyers cartel and try to force people to sell you oil cheaper than what market demands are and then of, of course the the problem with the cartel is always this is that let's say my uh brent and i are going to farm form a cartel and we're going to go you know buy uh toilet paper at the grocery store and we're going to try to force the grocery stores by having this buyer's cartel and sell us toilet paper at a lower price so i want you know i want two dollars for a bundle and so we're going to go and demand two dollars, and and the the grocery store says, no, I'm not going to do it. And at first, right? But you know, we we get our cartel together, we put more pressure on them, but eventually somebody caves, right? Brent says, man, I, re- I haven't had toilet paper like in a month. I've been using the, I've been using the Ward's catalog. People probably don't even remember Montgomery Ward's, but back in the day, right? So. Brent says, I'll tell you what, I'll buy your toilet paper at $3 or $4. He gives in, right? And this is what will eventually happen is that once you have this buyer's cartel, you've got to make sure that everybody's hung into this thing to make sure that it would that it would go through. But eventually somebody always breaks and they'll buy the oil anyway. And then as soon as that happens, the whole thing comes apart. And this is this is the problem with trying to form cartels. <laughs> The reality, you know, the issue is, is that you just need to allow, and 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 create an environment to increase production. We got into this mess by trying to villainize, as we said yesterday, to villainize oil companies and and put them in a position where they couldn't have access to capital, they didn't have the environment that was favorable to drill in, so they didn't drill, and so now you wound up with this this shortage of supply. Short, and those shortages always come back to surpluses, and that'll happen. How does that happen? We're producing about 12 million barrels a day right now. So that is roughly about a million barrels lower. We're doing about 13 million, a barrel, uh, 13 million barrels a day uh, in 2019. So we're about a million short of where we were pre-pandemic. That's still 12 million barrels a day that we're producing. Now, we have demand that's exceeding that quantity of supply, and that's why you have Iowa prices. Get into a recession, that demand is going to fall. In fact, it's already falling. We're already starting to see, as we talked about yesterday on the show, 40% of Americans have no plans to travel this summer. They're not going to be driving anywhere. They're going to have staycations. They're going to do other things. But because of high oil prices, and this was the number one reason, high gas prices, high travel costs, they're not going to travel this summer because, well, they can't afford it. So that does what? You have a 40% reduction in driving plans this summer. That's going to reduce the demand for oil. All of a sudden, your 12 million barrels a day is starting to meet demand. Prices are going to come down. Right? Right? So that's just a function of how this works, and, and this is all fine. These ideas that come out of Washington are all fine. They, sound, they make good sound bites, but when you actually dig down into the logic of them, they tend to, to really kind of fall very short. And even, even Democrats themselves are not really behind the gas tax holiday because they know it's a gimmick. It doesn't really solve your problem the 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 solution to the problem is to stop villainizing our fossil fuel industry and allow them to get back to work and provide them an environment to get back to work still work on your alternative energy forms still work on your green energy still work on your you know those type of things as well in fact a lot of these oil companies are doing that also they're investing in renewable energies already they're researching new ideas but allow them to get back to work create that bridge for the time being between where we are and where we want to be because that's going to be the ultimate solution. Otherwise, recession will take care of it for you, and that's what's coming. And as I said yesterday, uh, Jerome Powell was uh, talking to to the Senate and has his regular testimony with the Senate Banking Committee up yesterday. Of course, Elizabeth Warren uh, on that panel, she had a very interesting exchange With Jerome Powell talking specifically about, you know, what hiking rates will do to the economy and her view on what the the Fed should be doing. Of course, Jerome Powell pretty much stating that he's going to stay very beholden to fighting inflation. That's his number one concern. They have two mandates, as we've talked about before with the Fed. The first mandate, of course, is full employment. Hard to argue that we don't have full employment right now with the unemployment rate below below 4%. We have job openings right now that are running about two job openings per employee. So clearly we have a very robust employment market right now. Now, look, as we've talked about before, the job opening survey, you know, I don't put a lot of credence into that because again there's a lot of companies that just leave job postings up all the time doesn't mean they're actually hiring. As we talked about before particularly when it comes to companies like restaurants where they have a lot of turnover in waiters and waitresses they just kind of have a permanent job opening for waiters, waitresses, hostesses, what, you know, whatever because those things turn over so readily and particularly in this economy where a lot of people are just job hopping to get a higher rate that turnover stays very high. So they just kind of have a permanent job opening. Doesn't necessarily mean they're hiring today. They might be, but they're always taking in applications because they know that within the next you know, few weeks, month, whatever it is, they're going to have to ha- ha- be hiring somebody. And there's a lot of industries like that that have a lot of high turnover. So they kind of have these permanent job postings. So the job opening survey, you take that with a little bit of grain of salt. Also, I think there's a, lo- a good bit of double counting going on And those jobs because of the way that they collect that data. Uh, It's very possible we've got a lot of double counting in those areas. Um, And this is this really kind of uh, is is one of the issues. But again regardless of that we do have very low you know very you know very full employment you know unemployment rate below four percent. Jobless claims are historically low. Now the interesting thing about that is that very low unemployment rates and very low levels of jobless claims are actually pre-recessionary, and that's kind of an, that's kind of a, uh, a, a a a twist on the data that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. But basically, we're running out of people to hire. <laughs> and the next side of this, of course, is when you have that type of environment. That's where you have the rising wages. You have you know those additional costs on the businesses. And this is where businesses start to do what, right? Hiring freezes. And as the economy slows, as demand pulls back, that leads to layoffs, then to permanent layoffs, or what they call firings. That's kind of the next cycle of this. And again, it's interesting. What the Fed wants is full employment, which is what we've got. But that's actually pre-recessionary while they're hiking rates. We'll talk about all that, what Jerome Powell said, when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
0: Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In
2: 1999, a para fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others fortunes if you have a problem about preserving capital if no one else can help and you can find them right here maybe you should hire the ria
0: team you're listening to the real investment show
1: So welcome back to the show today. It's, uh, of course, Thursday. Second best day of the week as we get ready to wrap it up.
2: I think what well, I'm tired. I don't
1: know why I'm tired today.
2: It's the heat. Is it? Yeah. I'm just. Just saps your energy.
1: I guess so. I went I went running on Monday. I did about five miles Monday, I guess. if I went early. It was like nine o'clock in the morning.
2: Mm-hmm. But. It was only 90 by then. It was. It was yeah. about
1: it was about 90 degrees, but it was it was hot. Yeah, it was it was it was hot.
2: We'll get a relief gonna, this weekend. Uh, really? Yeah. Rain coming on Sunday.
1: I'll take it. Me it's, too. A, it's just going to turn to steam when it hits the ground. Well, there's so. that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's it's been uh kind of this this heat wave. I got a, a picture from uh, some my cu- my uh, very liberal cousin Dwayne. Good morning, Dwayne. No, you're listening. <laughs> Lives out in Utah. Yes. Next to Yellowstone Ranch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he sent me a picture yesterday of a, he's, uh, he's he's a he's, he, he's a, con, a contractor and so he's building a new house and showed me his picture from his office window. Of course, there's mountains in the background, it's all very pretty. I'm like, I have an office out of my window. <laughs> I see nothing but flat
2: <laughs> freeway.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, gonna have to, I'm, I'm gonna have to move somewhere where there's some
2: terrain eventually. <laughs>
1: Either a beach or some mountains, one of the yeah, two. Yeah. Gotta have gotta have some terrain. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Federal Reserve yesterday uh, up on Capitol Hill, uh, Jerome Powell, of course, testifying before the Senate Banking Committee. In uh, interesting comments that he was making yesterday, Federal Reserve. And I'm just going to read to you this is from the Wall Street Journal this morning. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said the central bank's battle against inflation could lead it to raise interest rates high enough to cause a recession. And, of course, this is his most explicit kind of warning this year. There's this quote. It is not our intended outcome at all creating a recession, but it's certainly a possibility, Mr. Powell said. Uh, we are not trying to provoke and do not think we will need to provoke a recession, but we think it is absolutely essential to bring down inflation, which, of course, is running at about a 40 40- You're high right now. Now, this is an interesting comment because really as he went through his testimony yesterday, his attitude and his comments were really to the fact that we're hiking interest rates and we're going to slow the economy. We're going to combat inflation, but we're not going to cause a recession. Even though he warned it's a possibility, he was like, Really, kind of avoiding the idea of the, the saying it's an absolute certainty, and I, and I thought this was interesting because a New York Federal Reserve paper, right? So these federal, so the Federal Reserve, by the way, has regions. If you're not aware of this, they have the Atlanta of the Atlanta Federal Reserve, they have the Dallas Federal Reserve, the Richmond Federal Reserve, et cetera, Philadelphia. Each one of these regions controls a specific number of of or controls a specific territory of the country for distribution of money, banking, et cetera. So, they, these, of course, these are stock full of economists and analysts and all types of other people that work in these regional feds. And they produce commentary on a regular basis and a lot of data, right? I and mean, we were talking about the Atlanta Fed GDP now, which is currently running at zero at the moment for the second quarter. But each one of these regions produce a good bit of data. Uh, we have these regional manufacturing Federal Reserve surveys, you know, talks about what's going on in their on their regions in terms of manufacturing. So they produce a lot of data about the economy. So it's not like Jerome Powell is devoid of of data that's happening in the economy. He knows what's going on. He, he gets all these reports. He talks to these all the heads of these regional uh, Fed regions on a regular basis. But again, you know, he can't just come out and say, yeah, recession's coming. No way to stop it. Because immediately, if he would have said that yesterday, yields would have dropped to about 1% and uh, markets would have been down 20%, right? I mean, just that quick. So he can't can't say that. So you have to kind of parse through this stuff that he says. And he's laying out the case and saying, look, you know, I'm hiking rates, probably going to have a recession, but I can't really say that, right? It's kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing, Right. But a recent New York Fed paper came out and said that this is from Liberty Street Economics. Puts the probability of a hard landing in the economy at 80 percent. Now, what's the difference between a soft landing and a hard landing? Right. (laughs) Think about it like flying an airplane. You know, a soft landing is when the the plane comes down, lands on the runway perfectly, right? Kind of that, you're kind of like coming back from you know flying in from New York, landing in intercontinental in Houston, nice soft landing. Everybody's happy, all good. Pull up to the taxi, get off the plane. Everybody's everybody's good. That's a soft landing, and right? applause worthy, and applause worthy yeah. when that happens, right? So, I think people are applauding just for simply the fact that they made it. <laughs> Especially lately, with all the delays, they're just they're clapping because they're glad to be home yeah. wherever they want to get to. But that's a soft landing, and so in an economic sense, a soft landing is where you can slow the economy, cool inflation, but not cause a recession. Brent, do you know what the difference is between a recession and a depression? I've told you this before. Yes. Yes. What is it? You what,
2: know what you said. That's
1: what I said. Got it. <laughs> Recessions, <laughs> a recessions when Brent loses his job, and yeah. depressions when I lose mine. Right, right. So, that's that's the old story. But a soft landing is where you avoid the recession, but you fix every all the other problems. A hard landing is when you wind up in a recession, or worse, a depression, and you lose your job. Right now, the New York Fed is putting that, that odds at 80%. They cut GDP by 1.5% in just a space of three months, and they expect a recession for two years. <laughs> now, that's not really the kind of news that you want to put out there into the financial markets, but that's why we saw such a big reversion and drop in interest rates yesterday. Bond prices, you know, having a very nice day yesterday and that's going to continue there currently the yield on 10-year treasuries has not is not reflecting what's going on in economic activity which is declining very rapidly and that's going to continue now eventually here very soon we're going to be to that inflection point to where yields start to catch up with economic activity and yields have a, a good ways to fall. And again, we talked about, and I'm actually writing an article about this. I'm going to touch on it a little bit in this weekend's newsletter as well. That the market is not pricing in yet. The market's not pricing in fully an economic recession. And that's really on two fronts. Stocks aren't pricing in the recession. I was talking about in the first segment this morning. Earnings estimates have to come down. they got to come down a lot. And they're, that's just, that process is just starting. So while the P has come down in valuations, the E, the, the PE ratio, the price earnings ratio, the P has come down. The E has not. The E has got to come down yet. So there is more pricing on the equity side that has to be priced in to cal- to compensate for a much slower earnings and economic growth environment. Yields also have to price that in. They have not done that yet either. So that's still coming. Now this this brings up kind of the interesting conversation that happened, you know, in the middle of this with Elizabeth Warren now you got to take Elizabeth Warren with a little bit of crazy. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, salt, salt, salt. I meant a, a little bit of salt when you take her comments. She uh, was was going after Jerome Powell, you know, pretty ferociously yesterday, saying, "Well, you know, you're going to hike rates and you're going to cause a recession, and that's going to put people out of work, right? And we're going to have people out of work. We're going to see, the, you know, people losing their jobs. They already have a hard time making ends meet." And, you know, really kind of going after, you know, Jerome Powell telling him he's going to drive the economy off the cliff. And I, and I thought this was an interesting comment because that's exactly what he's trying to do <laughs> and not drive the economy off the cliff. But, yes, he needs you to lose your job. He actually needs you to lose about 10 million jobs over the course of the next, you know, several months because as he noted he says look we've got to rebalance the labor market we've got two job openings for every job uh, two job openings for every person available we've got ultra low unemployment we have high inflation that's a terrible economic mix So in order to balance that we've got to slow economic demand and when we slow economic demand that means yes you're going to lose your job you're going to have more layoffs you're going to have, uh, more unemployment, that's going to come up. And if he can get unemployment to around 5%, theoretically, he can balance the economy. That's about 10 million jobs lost. But see, this is the the problem that nobody wants to talk about is that you've got inflation. Great, you've got inflation. You, In order to fix that, you've got to experience some pain because we didn't get into this mess Pain free, right? We had the pandemic. The government sent us a whole lot of free money. We went out and spent it just like we were supposed to do. We shut down the economy like we shouldn't have done. And here we are. Too much supply, I mean, too little supply, too much demand that gives you inflation. Well, there's only one way to fix that you've got to extract the liquidity from the market. There is no free, as we've talked about before, there is no free money. This is the whole problem with modern monetary theory, right? There's no such thing as free. There's always a cost. You can't just give people money and expect it not to have a cost. And what people are suffering right now, and look, it's a terrible thing, but this is the tax for the free money that you were given by the government. There's always a cost. Be right back after the break.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas
2: Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning uh well so good news for this uh thursday morning futures are pointing slightly higher uh dow's up about 157 as we talk right now uh, of course as we've seen recently that can change very quickly in this market so um, again nasdaq futures up about 116 this morning so Gonna have a little bit of a, a bounce out of the gate. Now, again, markets finished down on a smidge yesterday, but had a strong rally on Tuesday. So again, markets are trying to to get some type of, of rally going here. Unfortunately, what keeps happening is we spend some time, you know, getting a, a little bit of a rally under our feet. We kind of burn up the oversold condition that we have. And we get this rally that kind of eats up that that fuel in the tank from the oversold condition. And we get back to overbought very quickly. And then the market kind of gives up the ghost and we go set new lows. That's very much, as I said at the opening of the show this morning, that's very much the behavior of a bear market. It's very frustrating for investors because, you know, it's just we're, you know, we're so used to just markets kind of going up. And now you just have this market. Just it seems like it just won't quit going down. And that's exactly what a bear market does. It's going the bear market is going to push you to get out of the market entirely. That's that's what a bear market does. It it pushes you to get out of the market entirely. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you some uh, a story here of 2008, 2009, and. You know, a lesson I learned in in that period, right? And so, one of the interesting things that occurred in two thousand eight is that we had a very similar topping pattern, just like we had this year. Um, in technical terms, it's called a head and shoulders pattern. And and following the the Bear Stearns bailout, the markets rallied, formed a new high, for that period, uh, then sold off, rallied back, set a lower high, then broke broke support. And then we started going lower. And that was in June, July of 2008. And at that point, you know, we sold everything in our portfolio. We went to 100% cash at that point. Now, we're down about 8% from the peak, but sold everything and went to cash. So that worked great during the decline. In February of 2009, the evidence that a bottom was forming in the market was pretty clear. Super oversold, extreme negative sentiment, uh, starting to see a, a, a what they call a a, a um, increase in, in in what was you know kind of some of the indicators that were going on. You had this negative divergence in oversold indicators; they were improving, but the market was still going down. And that's the type of stuff you're looking for, for the market to find the bottom. Tells you what's kind of going on behind the scenes. or were people buying stocks, but overall the index was still going down. And so in in early March, or sorry, in late February, sorry, in late February, um, wrote an article about eight reasons for a bull market and and why we were going to start buying into portfolios. And we had just a rash of investors or clients at that point, D-Link and Lee, because what they were convinced of is that the markets were going to zero. And they were terrified that we were about to start buying into this market that was going to zero and they were going to lose all their money. Of course, that was the bottom. And that's exactly what, bear. see, that's how bear markets work. Bear markets keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you to the point that you eventually capitulate and sell. That's why bear markets are so tough emotionally. Of course, it's easy when money, you know markets are going up. Bull markets are easy, right? Things go up. You make money. Everybody's happy. It's all good. Bear markets suck because you're losing money. But this is why it's very challenging to try to get, and this is what happens to market timers all the time, is they try to get all out of the market. The problem is is getting back in. And by the time that you get back in the market, you've already missed the bottom and, you know, opportunities are, are much less valuable at that point. And so this is why it's important to always have a, a, a small piece of your portfolio invested in equities all the time. Now, you can be much more conservative with those equities by companies that have high dividend yields or more defensive in nature, those type of things, good strong fundamental balance sheets. They're still going to go down in value, but they're not going to go down in value as much. But here's the value of doing that, right? Now, these are good companies that you're buying, and you're going to own these for a long time. You're not going to sell them anytime soon, right? But they're going to come down in value. But when the market starts to recover, they're also going to recover in value. Now, there's going to be other areas of the market that are going to be recovering a lot faster. And like coming out of this bear market, you're going to see a lot of tech stocks do really, really well because they've been so beaten down. There's going to be big snapbacks and people running back to buy these companies initially. So these kind of more, you know, hardened you know, diehard and true value-oriented companies—they're not going to do that well coming out of the bottom. But what it will tell you in your portfolio is, is that markets have stopped going down, and you have this equity piece in your portfolio that's now rising with the market. So, as you begin to see that recovery in in the equity side of your portfolio, it's easier to add to that and to and to build on a base in your portfolio versus trying to go from the hardest thing is to do is to go from from nothing to something right because you're so scared now that the market's just going to keep going down buying something new is very difficult but you've already have this kind of this this little bit of a sleeve in your portfolio maybe it's 10 of your portfolio maybe it's 20 it's not a lot but it's just enough to give you a base to build off of psychologically right and so what we're trying to combat here is we're trying to combat those psychological flaws that lead to poor outcomes over time and again as we've talked about here on the show numerous times i mean we still get clients that come in today that have been out of the market since 2009 they never got back in the markets and and importantly you know we we talk about you know risk management And risk management doesn't mean avoiding the decline altogether. That's not what risk management is. What risk management is, is reducing the impact of the decline on your portfolio for a long term appreciation. I can recover 5, 6, 7% losses. That's no big deal, right? It's hard to recover a 40% loss, that takes too much time. But if my portfolios come down a little bit during the bear market, that's okay because when the market recovers, you'll very quickly get that back. You'll be back on track and growing. But what happens with a lot of people is is they try to get out of the markets. Then they miss the entire recovery. And, again, what's worse, right? And, And if you think about the impact to, you know, portfolios and financial plans over the long term, what's worse? I had a hundred, say I had a million dollars in the market in 2007 and I just held it all through 2008. Yeah, I lost 50% of my money. I'm down to half a million bucks. That's terrible, right? But then the market rallies 400% from that bottom. So now I'm at $2 million. What's worse, that or having a million dollars getting out of the market early, right? Keeping my million dollars during 2008 and then missing the 400% advance till current because that happened to a lot of people. From a financial planning perspective, they would have been better off just to ride the market. Now, we're not advocating that, right? I'm not advocating buying and holding and doing all that type of stuff. I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying is, is we can make decisions to try to, and this is called you know, loss aversion. We can make decisions to try to avoid loss that have a worse outcome on our financial future than actually taking the loss. And this is a very hard concept for people to wrap their head around because they just don't want to lose money, and I get it, right? I mean, this has been a very tough market this year. Markets have declined Fairly sharply, you know, down 20% for the year. It's been a very orderly decline, been a lot worse in some areas. The average retail investor saw a stat out the day before yesterday. The average investor is down 35% for the year. Markets are down 21. You know, so depending on how you were invested and what kind of risk you were taking, that that penalty can be a lot worse. But this is why we talk about risk control, risk management, you know, increasing allocations at some times, reducing it at others. But the problem as always of trying to go to zero and avoid market declines is the getting back in part. And psychologically that becomes very tough, but this is what bear markets do. And this is the thing we have to understand in terms of bear markets, is that it's going to push you and it's going to shove you and it's going to maul you and it's gonna do everything it can to try to get you to sell. And this is very frustrating. Rallies are going to—you're going to get these great rallies, and and you're going to go, oh, this is it! I got to get back in, right? I don't want to miss the bottom, right? We we all don't want to miss the bottom. Everybody's trying to find the bottom. I'm getting a lot of people emailing me right now. Is the bottom in? No, not in yet. Not seeing the signs that a bottom is in yet. When we start seeing those signs, we'll certainly let you know. But we're not there yet. So we still have some navigation to do, and that's what our job is. That's what we have to do every day. We have to navigate this, but we have to also make sure we don't make decisions that psychologically impair our long-term financial outcomes. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Be sure and get our weekend newsletter that's coming out on Saturday. We'll have that right to your email inbox. So simply go by the website. Make sure you're subscribed for the newsletter. Just click the little subscription link. Our daily commentary is coming up very shortly. Be out here in about 30 minutes. Um, Quick little overview of the markets, where we are, kind of some of the important highlights that are going on. You subscribe to that as well. Get that delivered right to your email inbox every morning before the market opens. Keep you up to date and apprised on what we're thinking about the markets and what we're seeing. Check out simplevisor.com. That's our digital only platform. All your own research that we provide for you right there. Simplevisor.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.